0: The following episode contains descriptions of domestic abuse, ableism, and mutilation. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is from The Apparition by Guy de Maupassant. I was straining my eyes in the effort to read the superscriptions when I seemed to hear, or rather feel, something rustle back of me. I paid no attention, believing that a draught from the window was moving some drapery. But in a minute or so, another movement, almost imperceptible, sent a strangely disagreeable little shiver over my skin. It was so stupid to be affected, even slightly, that self-respect prevented my turning around. I had just found the second package I needed, and was about to lay my hand on the third, when a long... And painful sigh uttered just at my shoulder made me bound like a madman from my seat. A tall woman, dressed in white, stood gazing at me from the back of the chair where I had been sitting an instant before. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the swamps of Bangladesh. Whether seated around a campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Each week, Ghost Stories reimagines chilling paranormal tales from history's most sinister storytellers, told like you've never heard them before. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story comes from a titan of French literature. Guy de Maupassant is best known as a naturalist writer, famous around the world for short stories like The Necklace, which deals with a woman's desire to be seen as an aristocrat. But Maupassant also wrote horror stories. The apparition combines his strong eye for human behavior with a plain-spoken portrayal of the terror that both men and ghosts can cause. I will be telling this story from the perspective of one of the story's characters, the Marquis de la Tour Samuel, an aristocrat stationed in Rouen, France, during France's conflict with the Ottoman Empire. When a friend from school asks him for some assistance with a tragic family matter, it appears to be a simple favor. But soon, the Marquis finds himself inside a nightmare. Coming up,
1: we'll run in to an old friend. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
0: It was 1827, and I was stationed in Rouen. The rebelling Greeks and the powerful Ottomans were many miles away, so I was left to stroll the capital of Normandy in peace. I walked beside the Seine for hours, ostensibly looking for hostile enemies and spies. In truth, I lunched on oysters and passed underneath the great Gothic cathedrals. It was quite easy to forget we were at war. I was very grateful to my father for obtaining such a comfortable position for me. It was on one of these walks that I encountered a friend from my school days. I remembered Henri as a calmer sort with soft brown hair, but when I saw him, he looked wizened, slightly hunched, and constantly on alert. I thought perhaps he'd taken part in the fighting in Greece. Many a young man had been aged by what they had seen in war, we had only been out of school for a decade or so. Besides, Henri's father, like mine, was an influential man, and Henri would not have had to fight. Unless, of course, he was overcome by some tragic form of patriotism. Poor man. When I asked him what had happened, he laughed. But it was a short, high-pitched sound that rang of fear. Confused, I put a hand on his shoulder and told him, as gently as I could, that his anxiety was absurd. This was Rouen. It was a city of astonishing beauty and wonderful food. What was there to fear here? Death, Henri replied. I scoffed. (laughs) Maybe for men not as lucky as we. As it is, we both stand here in the picture of health. The war is several countries away. Death will not visit us for several decades more. Henri paled and swallowed heavily. His eyes flitted to me and then at the ground. He spoke again, his voice soft. I killed her. I was certain I hadn't understood him. I asked him to repeat himself and he did. I killed her he said again i blinked at him rather stupidly i'm sure and asked who he was talking about Henri met my gaze this time my wife i killed her and now i am sure i will be murdered i tried to console him thinking his statement was only hyperbole This was Henri we were talking about. He was a gentleman and a nervous one at that. He could no more kill than I could. Whatever guilt he carried for his wife's death was certainly self-imposed, an attempt to make sense of an accident or malady he blamed on himself. I reminded him that ill health was always a danger to the more delicate among us, and he should not blame himself for the bounds of nature. I'm sure you feel you bear some responsibility but you must be kinder to yourself. I'm sure she would not want you to wallow in her loss. He wiped at his nose. I wish I could believe you, but you did not know my wife. I could not fully understand his tears, whether they were because of his wife or he feared something might happen to him. I asked him to elaborate. He focused his gaze on the river as he spoke, unable to meet my eyes. We loved each other profoundly for one year i took her to my estate and gave her everything a woman could wish for she was happy she was then one day her love became indifference i couldn't coax a smile from her lips i could barely get her to talk to me at all Henri went on to say that his wife watched him with a stillness that was unnerving when he asked her what was wrong she assured him unconvincingly that it was nothing he said he began to feel quite mad as though he could sense her anger and disappointment but she would not acknowledge it existed at all and therefore he could do nothing to assuage it he stammered slightly as he continued saying i am not a great man and have never claimed to be i regret that my desire for affection may have led me astray I reminded her who paid for this house for its upkeep and opulence all of which she availed herself of at every opportunity Yet there were obligations and promises I was owed I contend that still today But I acknowledge to demand it in such a fashion and after so much strife may have been ill-timed As he spoke There was pain in his voice, and I felt I was bearing witness to one of the darkest times of a man's life. I told him he should feel free to unburden himself to me, although I wasn't sure I wanted to hear what he would say. He nodded gratefully and continued. I dreamt I brought a letter opener to her chamber. She was sleeping, and I drove the small knife into her eyes. Once, then twice, then I could not stop. I was a man possessed with the need to erase that indifference. It was not until I could barely see from the blood that had flung across my face that I realized she was dead. I took several steps away from Henri, as though he still carried that same letter opener. I could not look at him. When he said he killed her, I assumed it was some exaggeration. But this sounded like murder in its truest form. He took a step toward me and I saw something like excitement flash in his eyes. Is it not the worst fantasy to have, my friend? Then he paused and softened. I have given confession every day for years, but still I am haunted. I am sure God is punishing me, and has taken her away from me because I did not deserve her. Relief washed over me. I finally understood. Henri's fantasy of mutilation and revenge had been just that, a fantasy. But his wife's tragic end had come shortly on its heels, making him think it could not be coincidence. Of course the poor man blamed himself. I would have as well. I placed my hand on his shoulder in consolation. I told him that we all visit such violence in moments of frustration, and that I could not imagine how horrible it must have been to lose his wife amid such awful marital tensions. Henri looked at me then, his eyes hopeful, urgent. He asked if I would do him a favour. He told me that he left his house in such a hurry after the death of his wife that he'd left a handful of letters of great personal value to him. They were in the locked desk drawer in the bedroom they'd shared. He had tried to steal himself to visit the chateau many times, but he had never been able to bring himself to leave the carriage, let alone enter the boudoir where he dreamed of her murder. It seemed a simple enough task to recover the letters, so I agreed. He clasped my hands, perhaps too tightly. Do you swear it, my friend? You must swear it on your honor as a gentleman. I was confused. That seems unnecessary, Henri, but I swear, nevertheless. May I ask, what are you so afraid of? He did not answer. But seemed satisfied with my oath and told me that speed would be the source of my salvation. If I lingered too long in the house, I might see her. I fear she knows my darkest thoughts and will punish others in my stead. I laughed, more out of discomfort than anything else. Henri had always been an odd fellow, but I didn't like this joke. What? In death? I asked. He ignored me, carrying on as if I wasn't there. She paces the bedroom at night, and perhaps at every hour of the day. Now I had to laugh in earnest. (laughs) Henri, you cannot mean... But he barreled on, grave as ever. The house is fully staffed. She likes it that way. But any servant who lingers after dark writes to me that they met a woman who confused them for me. I scoffed. Henri. the servants are clearly trying to keep you from the house and shirking their duties in your extended absence. And even if they do actually believe she haunts them, devotion to fay, spirits, you should know superstition is the pastime of the lower classes. I had truly believed this would assuage him, but he did not even reply to my assurances. Instead, he said the words that would complicate my promise to him most terribly. He said, The reason I am afraid is because a few days after I left, I received a letter from my butler that a servant had been found dead with his eyes gouged out. Up next, we meet Henri's wife in all her horrible misery. Parcasters, I am so thrilled to tell you about my latest series, Superstitions. If you haven't had a chance to give it a listen yet, there are already some eerily enjoyable episodes to binge before catching all new ones every Wednesday. Each week on Superstitions, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why shouldn't you walk under an open ladder? What's the real reason we should be wary of black cats? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each episode presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem cryptic, or illogical, or completely insane. But then again, do they? Follow my new Spotify original from podcast, Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your
1: podcasts. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Now, back to the story.
0: I did not sleep that night. Henri's horrible vision haunted me. I dreamt he stood over my bed, letter opener in hand, the sharp point approaching my own eyes until I woke, gasping for air. I checked the room immediately, but there was no one there only the glimmering key to the desk in his deceased wife's bedroom and the small scrap of paper with Henri's address. There it sat on my own desk, as if waiting for me so I could complete his errand. I was bound to do it by matters of honour, of course, but I also did not want that dream to visit me again. And so I reasoned the best way to banish it was to simply do as Henri asked and then give him back that key once and for all. Then I could wash my hands of the whole thing. The next afternoon, I set off for Henri's home. He had assured me that the estate had been well kept while he'd been away. But when I arrived, I wondered how long it had been. Much like the marriage, the chateau appeared to be crumbling. Bricks hung by the thinnest layer of grout, The lace in the windows drooped with holes so large I could have fit my fist through them and the front door was covered in dark grey and yellow splotches. Whoever was supposed to be tending to the place had stopped caring long ago and I took small satisfaction in my theory being proved correct. His servants were intentionally shirking their obligations. I could remedy that too while I was here. I knocked and waited for someone to answer. There was a flutter of movement near the curtains, but I couldn't make out any details from my spot at the entrance. So I waited. It couldn't have been long, but the sky seemed to grow darker as I stood there, waiting for the butler that Henri had assured me was still at the chateau. Finally, the door creaked open. The caretaker looked like a broken statue come to life. I handed him my card and gave him my instructions. His voice shook like brittle paper in a harsh wind. Then you are going in, into her room? I nodded, impatient. He stared at me for a long moment. I worried he may have fallen asleep, but he blinked slowly and stepped aside, allowing me to enter. Now, I do not make it accustomed to know the smell of mold, but I could feel the heaviness of it in the air. I hoped the visit would be short, but I hadn't the faintest idea of where to go. I turned to ask the butler, but I couldn't find him. In that moment, I felt a strange mixture of both relief and terror. I did not like the idea of the man skulking about behind me, I also didn't like, however, being left to my own devices in a house with a murderous ghost. If one were to believe such things. Which I didn't, of course. Really, I needed him back so I could tell him what a horrible job he was doing with the place. I searched through the halls for a staircase, presuming the marital suite and the desk with Henri's letters would be on the upper floors. The house creaked and groaned as I walked about. Several times, I thought I felt the presence of someone nearby, but when I turned, I found that I was alone. I searched room after room, but no matter how many doors I opened or halls I traversed, the labyrinthine chateau kept sprawling before me. There was no staircase to be found. I jostled my way through a promising set of double doors, only to discover a silent library one that likely hadn't been used since before the monarchy fell. The music room was equally crypt like Soon, I gave up on the master's sections of the house and moved toward the rooms of the indolent staff. The food in the larder had spoiled long ago. Even the rats were decaying, the skin wearing away around their corpses. I forced myself to look beyond the fetid mess and saw the outline of a small servant's stair in the shadows. Relieved, I ascended the tightly winding staircase, hoping it would get me closer to the letters. But as I reached the top landing, I emerged in front of a set of ornately painted doors. I took a steadying breath and pushed them open. A large bed was placed in the center of the room, away from any walls. Somehow, despite the sorry state of the rest of the house, there was not a speck of dust to be seen. Fresh flowers sat in a vase by the dressing area, and perfume floated on a soft breeze through the room. It was brimming with life, which unnerved me. But I reminded myself that Henri had said his wife had always wanted the house fully staffed. So Henri had accommodated. Perhaps the fear of his wife's supposed ghost had meant the lazy maids prioritized this room over the rest of the home. As I looked around, I spotted a small wooden desk sitting next to a floor-to-ceiling window. The panes on the interior were glinting and spotless, but the other side seemed to be coated in soot. I approached the desk looking for a lock in which to fit Henri's key. I found it on the far left side. As I stuck in the key, a hand grazed down from my cheek to my neck. I nearly jumped out of my skin. It was as though a piece of ice had melted and dripped down the side of my face. A feminine voice whispered in my ear, You've returned hair was standing on end, but fear kept me in place. I would not allow myself to jump or to turn. Clearly, I had imagined the voice, and I didn't wish to look lest I prove myself wrong. My muscles strained as I held myself still. Then, I slowly turned the key and pulled the drawer open. A packet of sealed letters greeted me. I grabbed them quickly, crumpling them in my haste as I shoved them into my jacket pocket. The woman spoke again, though I was too paralysed to turn around. Oh, please don't take the letters, my love. I do so like to read them as I wait for you to come home. My blood froze. I knew I was not imagining this voice a second time. Then, a terrible thought occurred to me. Henri hadn't said his wife was dead, not exactly. He said God had taken her from him. Could she still be alive, locked up in this room? A recluse, not of her own making, but of his. It seemed unlikely given the state of the rest of the house, but I couldn't deny her presence behind me. I was faced with an impossible choice. Henri claimed his staff had seen her before they died. I knew I could not turn around lest I meet their same fate. However, if I didn't, she might continue to think I was her husband. My mind raced with terrified questions. Was she still displeased with Henri? Had she actually hurt the servants? Would she hurt me? I could barely choke the words out. I'm... Not who you think I am. (laughs) Her laugh was like absinthe, throaty and dangerous. At that moment, I was too frozen to choose what to do next. But she decided for me. Her voice lost its mirth. Henri, look at me. You never look at me. She spun me around with a violence that seemed impossible for such a thin frame and forced me to face her. She had no eyes. At some point, she must have been a beautiful woman. Crusted dark red blood outlined her sockets. The bones that remained were cracked like a mosaic. Blue and green bruises stretched from under the gaping circular holes to her cheeks. Cuts in her lips pulled her smile up to her cheekbones. I stepped backward and felt something squish under my feet. I lifted my shoe to see the smashed remains of what must have been her eyeballs. As I raised my gaze from the floor, I took in her whole form. A letter opener protruded from her torso. The wound was still blooming with blood staining her white nightgown like a violent flower. She was beautiful and terrifying all at once. Henri had been too generous in his description of his brutality. It wasn't just her eyes he'd stolen. Her skin had turned a soft grey and was visible in places where the nightgown had been slit open by the blade. My friend's inhumanity was now laid out before me. For all those years, I had not seen it lurking within him. Her voice quivered, confused, even disoriented. Sickness is catching, Henri. Isn't that what you said? I tried to pull my eyes away from her mutilated body, but I couldn't. Her fingers then grazed across my throat, and I felt air where it shouldn't have been. She'd split my skin with a razor-thin fingernail. Blood oozed out of the cut. I fell back against the desk. My hands searched for something to keep me upright, where they landed on the key. The woman's image began to flicker. She reached for me, desperate even as I cowered away from her. Don't send me away again, Henri. Please. I pulled the key out of the drawer so forcefully that the wood came with it. Reeling and dizzy from the blood, I ran for the door, but suddenly I felt myself immobilized. Her icy hand held out a tortoiseshell comb. Please, Henri, this one favor. I was unsure what she meant at first, but she spoke again, this time her voice soft and pleading. You can save me, cure me, I suffer frightfully, my hair pulls so, my love, please help me. I don't know why, but then, with my heart pounding in my ears and my hands shaking, I took the comb from her. I brushed through the strands of her hair as quickly as I could, but as I did, my fingers were stinging as if going numb and cold. But yet, I found myself slowing, lingering, gently tugging each knot and wave so as to hurt her less. She hummed contentedly to herself there was something soothing to it. Safe. I felt moisture against my chin. The wound at my neck burned with salt. I do not know how long I cried. I brushed her hair for several minutes before stopping. Thank you, she chirped, snatching the comb from my hands and rushing out the door that had been my intended escape. She had left so suddenly, and I was left there, frozen. I waited for what felt like an eternity before creeping out into the hallway and running down the steps. I didn't see a soul as I rushed to my carriage and sped away. I raced back to town and had my valet call for a doctor. The man came quickly and stitched up my wound. I was too frightened to demand an explanation of Henri. So I sent his letters by messenger. I know he accepted them, but I am told that when the soldier mentioned my injury, Henri grew exceedingly anxious. That evening, I was told, he went out and did not return. I contacted the authorities. Whether I wanted them to find Henri or his unfortunate spouse was never clear to me. I only wanted answers, some sense of reason, some rope to pull myself out of the chasm of fear and superstition that was consuming me. But when the authorities arrived, the chateau was empty. No servants, no lady of the house, alive or dead. They, and Henri, were never seen again. Even to this day, the experience still frightens me. Sometimes I wonder, even after all these years, why that could be. After all, Henri's sins are his own, and I did what his poor wife asked. Yes, I had trusted him and visited on his behalf to take something she valued, but I had given her kindness when Henri had given her none. I would like to believe that I do not deserve to be haunted. In truth, I am not so sure. Guy de Maupassant is often regarded to be France's greatest short story writer. His work is dark, political and often pessimistic. Yet he maintains an astounding ability to not pass judgement on his characters and critique them at the same time, exposing not just their flaws, but the havoc those flaws wreak on others. The horror of the apparition lies not only in the disturbing imagery of Henri's wife, but also in her existence in the isolated house. Henri is clearly haunted, but fails to disclose the true nature of his distress. This, and his sudden disappearance, leads one to wonder if the friend's story was ever reliable in the first place. Is the strange woman the Marquis met in his friend's house a ghost? Or is she traumatized, or a woman with a mental illness, confined and abandoned by her spouse, unable to care for herself to the standards society has set? And which of these terrible realities is more frightening to a man like the Marquis, one who considered himself and his friend as one and the same, until discovering Henri's true capacity for cruelty. Maupassant's parents separated permanently in an era when such things were uncommon, and perhaps for this reason his stories often centre on the lies we tell both others and ourselves. Our inner lives, after all, are ours and ours alone. So it's important to choose your friends carefully. You never know what they're up to behind closed doors. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Rocher, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Bad omens? Good fortune? Pure luck? Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow my new podcast series, Superstitions. Start binging now before catching all new episodes every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.